Why do we treat animals like animals? How can people be so inhumane? Cows and chickens work to feed us, dogs and horses show they need us, and though cats don't always heed us, their affection is plain. What do we do? We neglect them, we do nothing to protect them, we reject them, don't expect them to complain. We ignore them or we beat them, when we are hungry then we eat them, it's appalling how we treat them, it's insane. Like animals! Just when you thought it was over, just when you thought there was no more revenge to be taken, there comes a different form of retribution. These Avengers aren't violated women, they aren't war-weary vigilantes, they aren't even human. They are the animals with which we share this planet. They live all around you, in the fields, the forests, the oceans, maybe even in your own home. And maybe, just maybe, some of those creatures just might want a little payback. Today on Slums of Film History, we resurrect our revenge series to look at the terrifying possibility that the animal kingdom might be just a little too human when it comes to revenge. We'll separate fiction from reality and identify just who amongst our fine feathered, furried, and fishy friends we don't want to fuck with. So get ready for Critter Vengeance because this time, it's personal. Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is normally not discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. And each week one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from evil dolls, to murderous twins, to aborted baby toxic waste monsters. If there's a film subject too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hey, Slate. Hi, Tom. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good, good, good. Uh, we're back in the studio for mm-hmm. our second round of recordings. So yep. That's nice. Yeah. I can't believe we've made it work so far. We've <laughs> had to push some dates. Well, you've had to push some dates. And don't rub it in. Yeah. But we're still kicking. Boy, we're still writing these things. I huh? know. I'm surprised. I keep saying to people, I'm like, oh, I can't hang out tonight. I've got to go home and write the podcast. And people are like, <laughs> didn't you stop that three seasons ago? <laughs> yeah. Are no? you still doing that? Yeah. We're it's pretty funny. still kicking. Yeah, still kicking. And, and actually, this episode sort of came out as a joke, because mm-hmm. this was... F- I'm skeptical of this one. Yeah, we were talking about this in the quote-unquote series finale during Final Vengeance when you brought up Jaws the Revenge. Mm-hmm. People thought that was hilarious, by the way. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. It was actually fun to talk about, even though it's like, why the fuck are we talking about this movie? I waited the whole episode to come up with my philosophical question, whose revenge was it? Was it Jaws? <laughs> Or Brody's wife. Right. And we discussed that probably way too long. Yeah. But honestly, it kind of saved my episode. It's the best part of the episode. So thanks. I liked it. You're welcome. That episode was questionable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm cutting all this out. Fuck this noise. Which is why I'm questioning this one. So you did an episode called Cuddly Critters That Kill. I did. What's the difference? So let me break it down. Let me tell you why I started actually pondering this episode for real. Because I started thinking about how we anthropomorphize animals mm-hmm. throughout history. And for those who don't know and just want to hear me struggle through saying anthropomorphize I again. I so. Yeah, I had to really, I really, can't correct you. Yeah, I don't know how to say that God. word. So I'm probably going to try to not say it that much more, but I know I'm going to say it again. Anyway, so to anthropomorphize something means to ascribe human attributes to it. Mm-hmm be they human emotions or motivations. And we do that in our pets all the time. We project emotions and attribute on animal friends that they may not actually share. For example, there's an article I found in this publication called The Telegraph, I guess it's British or something, but these scientists... But these scientists from Cambridge University did the study on whether dogs actually feel guilt or shame. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you see your dog and he chewed up your shoes and he looks sad, 
And it's like, oh, they feel shame. So they actually did a study on that. And as a dog lover, I'm sure you've had your share of dogs that did something and looked guilty. All the time? Yeah. So this study actually involved dogs eating dog biscuits when they weren't supposed to and then judged their reactions, some shit like that. Uh, what they concluded wasn't that dogs felt bad about it in a guilty way, but they were just reacting to their owner's behavior. Mm-hmm. So when their owner was pissed off, the tone of voice, gestures, maybe even uh, the way their owner smelled according to how their mood was, the dog was only reacting to that. Right. So they don't feel shame. They're just you're pissed off. So they're, they kind of cringe from the that. dog felt bad that you felt bad. Well, just I think is more defensive. They're like, oh, great. I pissed off Slate. He's gonna be pissy toward me. Right. Right. So that made me think about revenge. I was like, OK, well, we've been talking about revenge. I closed out the series. But when we were kidding about Critter Vengeance, I like do any animals actually take revenge or share that attribute with humans? OK, it's a this, little bit of a stretch. But... Totally, totally stretch. But I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to run with this and go with it. See where it goes. So okay. that's how we got here all right but let's go back to anthropomorphism again for a sec damn that's hard that's hard it's a tough one yeah it's i'm struggling sorry yeah (laughs) i feel bad yeah you don't i know you don't (laughs) evidence suggests that we've been adding human characteristics to animals since about forty thousand years ago Mm -hmm. zoomorphic which means animal shaped works of art existed even way back when one of the oldest known examples is an ivory sculpture and i'm gonna fuck this up it's called the lohenminch figurine in germany and it's a human shaped figurine with the head of a lioness or a lion and that's determined to be about thirty-two thousand years old mm-hmm. then of course moving on there's aesop's fables which is a collection of fables that credited aesop you know he was a slave storyteller in ancient greece between 620 and 564 bc and his stories were always these morality tales that in many cases replaced humans with animals but the animals of course had very human faults and motivations some of which include the tortoise and the hare and the town mouse and the country mouse mm-hmm. so of course let's move on to movies let's go way past aesop's time and talk about the silent era of films. And the first example I could find was Rin Tin Tin, who was a German shepherd that was popular in movies back in that time. I talked about him before mm-hmm. during Cuddly Critters That Kill. Mm-hmm. And this, I, this is the same episode as that. <laughs> it's slightly different, <laughs> Slate. Thank you. But yeah, it's pretty much the same episode. <laughs> so Rin Tin Tin, he was a German shepherd. And he was actually rescued from the French battlefield in 1918 during World War I. But he became a huge fucking star, and he appeared in like 23 films. He saved Warner Brothers from bankruptcy like numerous times. I bring him up because there's a good bit of anthropomorphism. God, I can't believe I'm still getting that right. sounded better, yeah. Going on with him as he's filmed as being the super smart, loyal, and almost human character in these movies. He understands what people want from him, and he, he has these complex emotions. And actually, they hired him because he could emote or look like he could emote. So he looked like something was going on behind those eyes when they would film him. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of human characteristics, and that's why he was appealing, and that's why he became so famous. And a lot of the films sort of were written to make him look more human. Mm-hmm. Even the press would treat him like a human celebrity as when they had like press releases and stuff. They talk about him and whatever his mate was like he had this dog that you made it with. And they were like, oh, they're a celebrity couple going out on the town, <laughs> you know. So even the press treated him that's more cute. human, you know, because he was a star. So that's the first case I had of where, you know, the movies were treating, you know, an animal as having human attributes after Rin Tin came Lassie and, of course, Benji. Mm-hmm. So that just kept following along. And then, of course, there was Disney and other animation studios of the era. You know, Disney created Steamboat Willie and other animated animals that had human attributes. So all the cartoons had anthropomorphic animals that were doing human stuff. I'm refraining from that because I, I want to talk about live action stuff. So Because sure. there's so much animation with animals doing human shit. I just I don't want to get clouded with that. It'd be no, too much. But that was happening around that time frame. So, of course, anthropomorphism was getting more and more prominent in movies in that era as well and with animation. With that being said, where does revenge come into play here? I know you're you're nodding your head going, yeah, where the fuck is revenge? <laughs> so we're going to get into that. But I also want to take this moment to talk about my structure because I actually broke this down in sort of a unique way. Okay. I'm breaking these critters down in three specific sections. So we've got land, sea, and air animals. Okay. It's a little different than your cuddly critters that kill, there which is go. broken down by animal. Thank you. Uh-huh. So here we go. So we're going to start with air. So I start with this one because this seemed like the most difficult one in terms of finding films that showed birds, or any flying animal for that matter, seeking revenge. Mm -hmm. You know I hate birds, right? Right, so this part will be your favorite. All right, so the first movie I could find is the movie The Birds from 1963, Hitchcock's classic, loosely based on the 1952 story of the same name. And it focuses on a series of sudden, unexplained, violent bird attacks on people in Bodega Bay, California over the course of a few days. 
It's a gradual escalation in the movie with more and more birds attacking humans until, in the end, the birds are everywhere and it's a full-on bird apocalypse. And, of course, the last scene you see is the surviving cast members driving away and literally a fucking sea of birds. So the reason for the birds rising up is never really fully explained in the movie. They're kind of a vague threat, and the characters have to deal with that without fully understanding why. They really don't know what the reason is. Mm -hmm. When asked, Hitchcock stated in an interview that the birds in the film rise up against humans to punish them for taking nature for granted. So this is actually like a nature versus man type Mm -hmm. of revenge Although that's not in the movie at all. No, nothing's mentioned in the movie at all. So this plants the birds into what is known as revenge of nature. And I'll talk about that a little bit more going on. I love this movie. Because it treats birds the way that they should be treated, which is horrible, disgusting, (laughs) and dangerous creatures that should be avoided and should be killed. (laughs) So Slate likes this movie because it shows birds how they truly are. Yeah, they're disgusting, horrible monsters that only have one thing in mind, which is pecking your eyes out. And being assholes and shitting on you. Yeah. That's fair. But I had to talk about the birds, although not singularly motivated for revenge. They're at least getting payback at humans for something. Fun fact, Birds was nominated for an Academy Award for special effects, some of which were really impressive for the time. It's still a good movie. Yeah. And the effects hold up fine. Yeah. Fine. Actress Tippi Hendren, who starred in the original film, fun fact, would return 30 years later for the sequel, Birds 2, Land's End. Oof, yeah. Have you, did you see that It was a TV movie, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. It was in 94. Yeah, I didn't see it. But the director directed it under Alan Smithy, because it was like, this is fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It premiered on Showtime, it was lost to time, and fuck it, but I had to bring it up. The Birds is a great premise, and Mm -hmm. was a great idea for one movie. Right. For no more than one movie, which I'm sure I know the next movie you're going to talk about. I bet you do. So you know that The Birds had its own sequel, but Mm -hmm. then there's also another movie that came out called Birdemic, Shock and Terror. It's a 2010 independent horror film. Very independent. (laughs) Yeah. And it stars a bunch of nobodies, whatever. But a Birdemic tells the story of a romance between two main characters at their small town, and it's attacked by birds, just like the birds. This is probably considered one of the worst movies ever made. And I watched some of it for this episode, and it is terrible. I've seen it twice. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tell me about that. So I saw it because it's on the list of worst movies ever. And when you and I were making sure we saw everything, including the room and stuff like that, which I had never seen before. Right, right. I watched it. And then How Did This Get Made did an episode on it. (laughs) And they actually had the main actress named Whitney something. Whitney Moore. Whitney, yeah. What I have here. Um, And she was there to talk about how this movie got made in the first place and all the choices that they made. But anyway, it was hilarious. So I watched it a second time because I wanted to see all the stuff that they talked about. Yeah. So for those of you out... In Audioland, Birdemic is, again, a ripoff of The Birds, but what makes it ridiculous besides just shitty acting is that it's got the worst CGI. It's got these flapping birds that don't even look remotely real, and they do weird shit, too. Like, they dive bomb people, and they explode, and they spit acid. Which I guess he must have thought, well, this is how I'm plussing this whole idea up. Yeah, You know? The effects are... A travesty. Yes. Yeah. They are god awful. Yeah. It's worth looking up clips to see how bad this is. It's not a joke. This is for fucking real. Just on top of that, the birds don't even show up till like halfway through the movie. Oh, and when they boring. do, they're terrible. Yeah. It's such so, a boring movie. Yeah, it's really, really terrible. But as far as the revenge part, it's again never really fully explained in the movie why the birds attack. Although in the DVD commentary, the director explained that the birds were attacking people in retaliation for global warming. Mm-hmm. So again, nature versus man, but they were weren't really independently seeking revenge for themselves, but nature was using them as getting revenge. And of course, they were targeting gas station and cars because of carbon dioxide or whatever, carbon monoxide. I don't fucking know. That's what the guy said. So that's why they were getting revenge was because of cars and Mm -hmm. gas and global warming. Meet Rod. Hi. A young software salesman on his way to achieving his Silicon Valley dream. Really? Meet Natalie, a beautiful young fashion model driven by... Throw true love into the equation and anything is possible. species is dangerous and 
menacing and terrifying animal. All right, my next movie is The Crow from 1994. We talked about this before during uh, my Revenge from the Grave episode, and of course it's the film that is uh, directed by Alex Proyas, who did the Dark City movie, and it starred Brandon Lee, which is Bruce Lee's son, who was killed on set of this movie while it was being made. It's about a guitarist named Eric Draven, who was brought back to life by a crow, actually, a year after he was murdered. He and his fiance were murdered by these gang members, and so the crow is helping him get revenge. So in the movie, Lee's character is led back from the land of the dead by a crow to seek revenge. The crow assists him, so the crow isn't necessarily seeking revenge on its own, but it's actually being an assistant to revenge. So he can get revenge. So he can get Mm -hmm. revenge. I'd like to get some revenge on those two birds that pooped on me in one week. Ever tell you I got pooped on twice in one week? No, but you know what? Hold on to that. Okay. Because this may come back around to that. So we'll talk about that in a second. I hate birds. Yeah. (laughs) Did I mention that? No, but you know what? They may be able to feel your hate and react to that. We'll talk about that in a minute. So don't don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. We'll finish up the crow here. So, continuing with the movie The Crow, it was based on a comic book. And the comic book, there is a crow that leads the main character, Brandon Lee's character, back from the dead and helps him get revenge. But in that case, the crow actually talks to him, sort of gives him a hard time, fucks with him, and antagonizes him about dwelling on his wife's death. So, it's more like a Greek chorus as well. It's still helping him get revenge, but it's sort of fucking with him while he's doing it. Crow has a little more agency in the comic book than it does the movie. But again, in both of those, it's really just an assistant for him getting revenge so the crow is not actually getting revenge and i bring all that up because okay so these movies don't really bring a compelling argument about birds getting revenge right Mm -hmm. so what i like to do now and the way i've structured this is let me look at real life examples and see okay are any flying animals motivated by revenge has that been determined Mm -hmm. so since we were talking about crows i'm going to start with them Mm -hmm. in real life So in researching these movies, I also researched whether or not crows or any birds actually take revenge. And what I found was there was a study a few years ago by the University of Washington where they trapped, banded, and released about 7 to 15 American crows around Seattle. Before trapping the birds, the researchers wore these different rubber masks. And while the birds were caged, nearby crows circled the site and sounded alarm calls or making a bunch of noise and shit. The team then tested the crows' reaction to the mask. So the first two weeks, about 26% of the crows that the researchers encountered scolded and were like making noise and being assholes to them. And they were flapping their wings and making all sorts of ruckus at the masked enemies. Groups of crows would also sometimes mob the researchers as well, squawking and dive bombing them. Mm -hmm. When the researchers wore different neutral masks, the crows normally didn't react at all, suggesting that the tagged birds, as well as the birds that watched them being tagged, remembered the asshole humans Mm -hmm. that had wronged them. What's interesting, though, is that over time, more crows joined in on scolding the the masked researchers. And in little more than a year, over 30% of the encountered crows reacted. By three years, 66% did. That percentage has continued to increase. Interestingly, the crows did not need repeated reminders of their enemies. Here's a quote from one of the researchers. They hadn't seen me for a year with the mask on. And when I walked out of the office, they immediately scolded me. It means they're squawking and shit. So crows not only remember you and seek revenge, but they also got their friends involved as well. Mm -hmm. I don't take the crow side. I'm sorry. (laughs) I take the asshole researcher's side on this one. (laughs) I'm not saying you should sympathize with the crows. I'm just saying that they seem to be capable of revenge a Mm -hmm. little bit. Other birds do this as well. For instance, ravens act in a very similar way when put in the same position as studies have shown. But pigeons will also remember you. So these French researchers tested a theory and came to the conclusion that having two people head into a park in Paris with bird feed, one of which ignored the birds and allowed them to eat while the other was hostile and chased the pigeons away. Later on, the feeders return, and although neither of them chased the birds away, the pigeons recognized which one had previously been an asshole to them and just avoided them completely. That makes sense. So even after repeated attempts of tricking the pigeons, the birds still knew which person was an asshole. Now, granted, they weren't taking a revenge necessarily, but if one of those researchers finds a bunch of pigeon shit on their car there you go pigeon Mm -hmm. payback motherfucker Mm-hmm. I yeah, believe yeah. that they're horrible, disgusting, <laughs> and capable of vengeance. I believe that. You don't have to convince me. They're horrible creatures. Moving on, we're going to move on to something a little more pleasant, and we're going to talk about land creatures. Okay. So the first land animal I could find that talked about revenge was The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. It was a story that he had wrote, one of his short stories, and it was originally published back in August 19th, 1843 in the Saturday Evening Post. Yeah, I remember this one. Oh, I hate cats. <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode Slate 
slate hates this every fucking thing. Just where you're just like, here's a whole bunch of things you hate. I'm more glad that I did this now than before. Yeah, so, me too. I'm kind of enjoying it. Oh, good, good. So I talked about the black cat during Cuddly Critters That Kill also. And the story is about a guy who's an asshole to this cat. He cuts its eye out. He's really mean to it. He kills it. Only it kind of comes back. It seems like it's a different cat, but it has the same injuries as the one did before. And ultimately gets revenge on him by ratting him out for another murder because it gets buried in a wall with a corpse. And the cops come and dig it out. And this cat's like hissing and making a noise. So that was the original story. And it's the first one I could find of a cat getting revenge. This was also made in a film back in 1934, and it was a pre-code horror film starring Bela Lugosi and Boris Korloff. And, of course, they added a bunch of stuff to flesh out the movie to make it cinema-length, but it had, like, human sacrifice and necrophilia and black mass, which I know makes it sound more appealing, but that's not that great. But anyway, so that's the first Even movie necrophilia? I could find. Sign me up. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. But... That's the first movie I could find also that had a cat getting revenge. But my next example of cat vengeance, I also talk about Cuddly Critters That Kill, is from Tales from the Dark Side, the movie from 1990, which is a horror anthology that had these different stories. But there's a story in there called The Cat from Hell, and it's about this old man who was running this pharmaceutical company, this rich old man, and he gets this assassin to come and murder this cat because... This cat can't be killed, apparently. And Mm -hmm. so he brings the assassin in and he tells him all about how this cat has killed the rest of his family, like his sisters or his cousins or whatever, that lived in this house with him. And now it wants to kill him next. And, of course, the assassin's like, it's a fucking cat. Are you kidding me? But then the rest of that short story is this dude trying to kill this cat. And he tries to shoot it. He tries to poison it. And the cat just starts fucking with him. And then at the end of the story, spoiler, but it's a great story, the cat basically crawls down his fucking throat. And then comes back up later when the old man comes back to see if the guy killed it. And then, of course, the old man dies from a heart attack. But to add the element of revenge, the reason the cat is supposedly even there is because this pharmaceutical company had this heart medicine that they tested on cats. It was the only way they could test this medicine. And all these cats were killed in the lab. So apparently the cat sent this cat back for revenge. Mm-hmm. And this cat was their avenger. It's a great little story. And I really I like the Tales from the Dark Side movie anyway. Overall, I think it's yeah, fun. Too. But the cat story is really, really great. I did and, like it when the cat crawls out of his mouth. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, because you can see it come out of his throat. Blood's yeah. coming out. It's really, really gory. It's cool. So anyway, so that's small cats. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about big cats now. Okay. So the movie I want to talk about now that deals with big cats getting revenge is a movie called The Ghost in the Darkness from 1996. Did you ever see this? I remember it. It stars Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. It's a fictionalized account of a true story about the Savo man-eaters. I think it's how he's pronounced it. It's T-S-A-V-O. And it's these two lions that had attacked and killed these railway workers around 1898. And they just were attacking these workers constantly. They killed, like, supposedly between 100 and 135 of them. Damn. Yeah. So Val Kilmer plays this hunter, and he's tasked with killing these lions. He can't. Is this hot Val Kilmer or now Val Kilmer? It's hot Val Kilmer. Okay, great. So he can't seem to kill these things. He's tried and tried. So he gets a, a ringer from the outside who's played by Michael Douglas, and he's one of those great white hunter types that's hunted everything, mm-hmm. and he comes to help him. But what was weird about these lions and what's weird about in real life are they weren't like normal lions. For one and I have a list here of lions don't usually attack man, uh, especially in larger numbers like that. There was huge camps of men. They had a fucking lair. Like they had a lair in a cave with like bones and shit. Mm -hmm. Lions don't do that. They seem to be smarter and more aggressive than normal lions because they were very tactical in how they attacked. And it seemed like a lot of these killings were more for fun than food. And lions don't usually do that either. I like this lair. I know. The layers. It's gross. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So because their behavior was so irregular, the railway workers called them the ghosts in the darkness because they really didn't think they were lions at all. They thought they were just demons that were sent there for punishing them for invading the land. Eventually, the lions were killed in real life and in the movie. And eventually, the railway was built. But yeah, these fucking things like decimated these people and it was a real challenge to kill them it's crazy lions don't do this lions never had a lair like this they're doing it for the pleasure they are not lions they are the ghost and the darkness how many do you think they've killed hundred maybe more michael douglas val kilmer the ghost and the darkness. So, yeah, that's an interesting case where these lions seem to be getting revenge for whatever reason or payback because of this, these weird attacks. 
Now we're going to move on, and we're going to move on to your favorite animal, which is dogs. Dogs. I love dogs. So you love dogs. So one of the best, or probably the most prominent dog revenge movies I could find was called The Pack from 1977. This is a horror film about a pack of abandoned dogs who turned against humans and started killing them on this island called Seal Island. They turned on them because these dogs were all abandoned by their owners on this island, so they packed together and get payback. Yeah, I remember this one coming up in my rabies episode, but they don't have rabies. They don't have rabies. They're just like, yeah, they're just pissed Pissed off because they were abandoned. And it's a lot of them, too. So I feel like everybody comes to this fucking island just to drop off their dogs Mm -hmm. because like a lot of them are abandoned here. This film stars Joe Don Baker from Mitchell fame. Oh, Mitchell. Mitchell. Ma, 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 Mitchell. And he's a farmer who's defending his family against the killer dogs. This movie actually really isn't half bad. But a statement here is that every pet owner on this island is a shitbag because they abandon all their pets. Anyway, so there's my dog example. The last example I want to talk about on land animals are chimps. Mm-hmm. So the example I have here is a movie called Link from 1986, and it's a horror film starring Elizabeth Shue and Terrence Stamp. Mm, Terrence Stamp, huh? Yeah, Terrence mm-hmm. Stamp slumming. The title character, Link, is a super intelligent yet malicious chimpanzee, which is actually played by an orangutan for some reason, who lashes out against his masters when they try to have him euthanized. So I watched this movie, and it's bad. Not to mention that the trained orangutan they used was not convincing as an aggressive, homicidal, vengeful chimp at all. Like, he looked like he was having fun. He was, like, being goofy and, like, having a good time. You can tell he's a trained animal doing fun shit. And they're like, oh, no, he's aggressive. And he's, like, you know, playing with a ball. You know, it's like, right, right, it's like right. oh, he's coming right at us. This was they just, not like, an... shake the camera in his face. And they're yeah. like, he's and mad. He's, he's angry. Like, yeah, shaking the camera. He was super goofy. It was not a convincing movie at all. I felt bad for Elizabeth Shue and Terrence Stamp for being in this movie. But at the end, spoiler, he blows himself up in the house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a gas leak, and he lights a cigar. Really, he lights a cigar to smoke a cigar. The chimp. The chimp does. Yeah, and then blows himself that's funny. up. Yeah, and falls into the fire. At least that's funny. It's pretty funny, yeah. yeah. But there's one actually semi-decent scene. So Elizabeth Shue was driving away from the house at the end after it's blown up. And there's two other chimps that aren't aggressive or supposedly not aggressive that they get into the car to take with them. And the last one, they're like, oh, that's Bubbles or whatever the fuck his name is. And they're like, come and get in the car. And the guy that was with Elizabeth Shue, who survived this chimp rampage, was like, don't let him in because they might be aggressive. And she's like, no, Bubbles is good. And so they let Bubbles in and they drive away. But as they drive away, it pans up to the field where he was, where you couldn't see over this wall. And like all these sheep and there were dead, like suggesting this one I chimp had that. murdered. I love right. endings like that. Yeah. So that was a really good ending mm-hmm. to a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah. This doesn't sound that bad anymore. You've got a chimp smoking a cigar. Yeah. You've got a whole bunch of dead sheep, Elizabeth <laughs> Shue and Terrence Stamp. I know. It I feel like I'm selling. Awful. I feel like I'm selling yeah. this and I shouldn't be. Yeah. Okay. And it's free. So we can put it on the site for okay. somebody who wants to subject themselves to this. Yeah. For centuries, the link between man and the primates has been shrouded in darkness, surrounded by mystery. Now, one man has closed the gap. Well, he's a different kind of intelligence. Forged the link. It's different, all right. And discovered what has always been missing. Link. Man is no longer in control. Again, you have chimp vengeance. He wanted to get revenge because they were like, oh, we got to euthanize him. And he's like, fuck that payback motherfucker. So there you go. Those are my examples for land animals. Now let's flip it back around Uh and see, okay, there are any real life examples where these animals have actually sought revenge. Uh So do cats seek revenge? We'll start back with cats. Sometimes it seems so because they can be haters. They can be assholes. During my research, the answer, though, is pretty much no. All their behavior is defensive in nature. Cats don't have the ego differentiation required for revenge to basically to inflict pain on others so we can feel that we've evened the scales. They just don't have that capacity. This is an important distinction because attacking in order to get away is self-defense. And of course, cats do that, but they aren't out for justice. If they tear up stuff or pee on stuff to mark their territory, it's to feel safe, not because they're like payback motherfucker. Although mm-hmm. it does seem like that. It, does kind of, yeah. it really does seem like that. I don't know if I believe that 100%. These are the studies that I looked up. Uh, supposedly, this behavior extends to big cats as well, like lions. Although we have ghosts in the darkness as an example of strange lion behavior, it's hard to tell how much that account was true overall. The 135 people that were killed could be more of a legend than actual mm-hmm. truth. They have these cats. like These cats were killed, and they were skinned and taxidermied and shit, and they're actually in a museum. 
And I think that when they did an autopsy, they confirmed that they killed together around 28 people, which still is a pretty big That's fucking number. Considering I mean, most cats have killed zero people, <laughs> right? Uh, 28's a lot. 28's a lot for a couple of lions. So a lot of this legend could be true, but it's very odd behavior. It's not something that's a standard behavior in lions. So it's, that's what makes it such a unique story. So it's hard to study that because it's not normal. That being said, there have been a number of lion-involved deaths over the years that look like payback. For instance, there was a case in 2018 where three men were believed to have been eaten alive by a pride of lions over a weekend after they entered the Sibuya Game Reserve in, I'm going to say this wrong, Kenton-on-Sea, and they were there to hunt rhinos. So this is in Africa. Mm-hmm. Nick Fox, the park's owner, told Newsweek after the incident, authorities recovered the remains, three pairs of shoes, wire cutters, high-powered hunting rifles with silencers, and a type of axe that's commonly used by poachers to remove rhino horns. So it kind of looks like payback. You know, these poachers come in there and they meet their doom. But I think it was more likely, as they studied it, that they probably just underestimated the lions and were probably used to them avoiding humans, which they usually do. Mm -hmm. And then this time, it didn't happen. Yeah, sometimes they're like, get these fuckers out of here. Right. And then there's this other story back in 2007 where there was a Siberian tiger that killed a 17-year-old and mauled two other men at the San Francisco Zoo on Christmas Day of that year. It's uncertain the preceding circumstances, but the facts of the assault are clear. Just before the zoo's closing time, the four-year-old tiger named Tatiana escaped her pen and attacked three men. She then made her way 300 yards to the zoo's cafe because she was following one of the injured men and attacked them some more. She was then shot dead by police officers. An investigation was conducted, but it was unclear whether she was acting on a grudge or on instinct. She had a history of violence, as it turned out, but attributing something similar to how humans lash out in retribution uh, might be stretching things a bit. Mm-hmm. So they could have been taunting her. Maybe she did that. I don't know. It was weird. The circumstances yes. were weird. Maybe it's just years of being in captivity and she don't like it. You I know, mean, maybe so. So what about dogs? Dog vengeance. Well, according to Stephen Beckerman, a Penn State anthropologist, he says, although dogs have good memories, they live more in the moment. So when you come home and find a mess, your body language before you even say something to your dog may reveal your anger and cause your dog to react. Your dog, however, is not necessarily waiting for some sort of mental satisfaction that it got a reaction out of you. That behavior is tied to a phenomenon known as theory of mind, which requires a complex ability to understand and possibly even predict the thoughts of others, which dogs don't have. I believe this also applies to pack behavior. Dogs may conform to their role in a pack, but packs don't roam around looking for revenge on their owners who dump them. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But what about chimps, though? Talk about chimps real quick here. Yeah, because they can fuck up a human. They can fuck up a human. So I found an article called Chimps Don't Just Get Mad, They Get Even by uh, this woman named Joan B. Silk. She writes that there was an experiment that researchers explored the chimpanzee's sensitivity to the nature of losses that they suffered. In this experiment, there was a chimp in a cage and there was food placed on a sliding platform that could be moved out of the chimp's reach. But he had this rope he could pull that caused that whole platform to collapse with the food on it, like just collapse it to the floor, right? So it could be moved out of his way, but if he wanted to, he could pull it and just like ruin it for everybody, essentially. In one condition, a human experimenter moved the platform away from the chimp and slid it to within a reach of another chimp. In another condition, the experimenter did the same thing, but there was no other chimp present to receive the food. And then in the last condition, a chimpanzee in an opposite cage was able to pull the platform away from the main chimp and gain access to the food. Not surprisingly, the chimpanzees were more likely to collapse the food table, like ruin it for everybody, when they lost the food than when they were left alone to eat in peace, obviously. However, the chimpanzees were significantly more likely to respond punitively when they were victimized by other chimpanzees than when they were victims of the experimenter's whims. The result of these experiments suggest that chimpanzees are predisposed to impose sanctions on those that harm them. So, like, when another chimp stole their food, they would, like, pull the thing and be like, you can't have it, motherfucker. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, payback to the other chimps. So that's a little element of revenge right there with chimps. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Now we're going to move on to sea creatures. And probably the most famous sea creature getting revenge is Moby Dick. Uh Moby Dick is a whale in an 1851 novel of the same name by American writer Herman Melville. The book is about Sailor Ishmael's narrative of the obsessive quest of Ahab, a captain of the whaling ship Pequod, Pequod, and his revenge on Moby Dick, the giant white sperm whale (laughs) that on the ship's previous voyage bit off Ahab's leg at the knee. Although one can argue Moby Dick has been taking out fishing vessels and whalers that cross his path seeking his own vengeance. Spoiler, the whale does end up having his revenge on Ahab at the end. Mm -hmm. So that's my first example, which leads me to my next example, Jaws the Revenge. Oh, I've never seen it. No? No, we've never talked about it. No, I don't think we've ever talked about that. So it's the 1987 
horror thriller, and I say that extremely loosely, starring action star Lorraine <laughs> Gary. It has Mario Van Peebles, God knows why, and extremely slumming Michael Caine. Oh, boy. It is a terrible, terrible movie. It's the fourth installment in the Jaws franchise, and it's the one that pretty much effectively killed it for good. Yeah. Just to recap it, because God knows we didn't talk about it enough before... It's about now-widowed Ellen Brody, Lorraine Gary, and her conviction that a great white shark is seeking revenge on her family, particularly when it kills her son. Then it follows her down to the Bahamas, which we said it was Jamaica, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't fucking matter. It's some island. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's thousands of miles, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Supposedly it had a psychic link with her, because remember she had nightmares and knew where it was coming, and then it followed her down to the Bahamas where she stabbed it with a boat. And Michael Caine got a paycheck and chose to forget it this movie existed. It, the psychic part of it doesn't play out. Like, they don't do anything <laughs> it with it. doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. And then, as I mentioned, part of her flashbacks that she keeps having, which is part of the whole psychic kind of D-plot of it, right. she keeps having psychic memories of the first movie that she wasn't in. <laughs> Yeah, she wasn't there. She wasn't there when they were, like, shooting the shark. Right, exactly. So she keeps thinking about her husband. I mean, I guess maybe he told her about those things. It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. It's really, really bad. Also, for a psychic revenge shark, that shark has no personality. No, it's not very personal. Like, they don't give the shark any character. (laughs) Which sounds ridiculous, but considering that it's a shark that is determined to seek revenge and also psychic... His character development is Zippo. You're right. Considering they give him all these attributes, right? He's psychic. He has some sort of magical radar where he's he can follow them off around. the whole family. He roars. He, he roars. He's very loud. Sharks don't He can do jump that. out of the water he for some reason. He can jump out of the water. So there's a lot of tricks he can do, but he's still not very personable. No. But what's unique... Also, <laughs> there is one thing, too, which I brought up on my family vacation. Okay. There is a scene of where Lynn Whitfield and action star Lorraine Gary are standing on the beach and Jaws the Revenge goes to eat Lorraine Gary's daughter, I think, off of the banana boat. You remember the banana boat scene? This is the only mildly interesting scene. And it picks off the wrong kid, remember? (laughs) It gets it wrong and eats the kid behind Lorraine Gary's granddaughter. Oh, I forgot all about them. So it's also stupid. Yeah, it's not very smart. It followed her all the way to the Bahamas. It's picked off everybody in the family. And then at the last second, eats the wrong kid. Eats the wrong kid. It's fucking stupid. Shitty revenge thriller. But that's the thing about Jaws Revenge. It's the first Jaws Mm -hmm. where revenge is a motivator. Because the other sharks are just his feet. They're just eating, right? The the other sharks, that's what sharks do. They just, they'll eat whatever. It's not personal. They don't care if you're food, you're fucking food. Mm -hmm. This one's like, I'm trying to eat these specific people. Of course, it fucks it up. Got the wrong kid. Why? Because they killed Jaws 1, who must have been his grandmother, great-grandmother. Right, right, right. Because there's four of them. Right, right. Although so, the fourth one pretends like the third one didn't happen. Which we were all pretending the third one didn't happen. But yeah, the SeaWorld one. Boy, just when you think that they couldn't get any worse. I actually... Three might be worse than Jaws the Revenge. Three is really bad. They're pretty bad. But the point I'm trying to make here with Jaws the Revenge is that it is about revenge, which is was unique to the Jaws franchise. However, my Maybe. next movie that I'm tying this into, it was always about revenge. Mm-hmm. And that movie is Orca, the killer whale <laughs> from 1977. The ancient Romans called him Orca or Kynus, Latin for bringer of death. He is without challenge the most powerful animal on the globe. The killer whale. Orca has 48 teeth, set in two impressive rows. They remain loyal to one mate for life. As parents, they are exemplary, better than many human beings. And like human beings, they have a profound instinct for vengeance. Dino De Laurentiis presents Orca. Have you ever seen Orca? Oh, yeah. So it was always about revenge with Orca. This movie stars Richard Harris, Charlotte Rampling, and Bo Derek. Kind of Bo Derek. Sort of Bo Derek. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. And it's based on the novel the same name. I forgot who wrote the novel. Who gives a shit? But the film follows a male orca whale tracking down and getting revenge on a boat captain for killing the whale's pregnant mate and unborn calf. That seems upsetting. It was actually pretty gross and upsetting. It's like I mean, a whale abortion, kind of? Kind of. Well, see, what happens is the orca is like sticking its head out of the water and screaming because they captured the wife. And the wife, basically, the mate, basically has a miscarriage. A orca miscarriage. Yeah. And this little orca fetus falls on the deck of the boat and it's bloody and it's really it's disgusting. Upsetting. And the orca screams and it's just like, 
like horrible. I didn't like that. But the thing is, like, you're rooting for Orca the whole time. I want this yeah, damn correct. whale to get revenge. You're yeah. like, this he's the most likable character of the whole thing. But yeah, that scene is very That's exciting. how you write personality into a sea creature. Right. Yeah. Because he has lots and he gets payback. Well, and one of the better scenes, too. So I guess Bo Derek breaks her leg. Mm-hmm. And so she has a cast on. Correct. But then at one point, Orca attacks, like, I guess one of their boathouses. She falls in there and it, like, basically bites off her leg that has the cast on. It's like adding insult to injury. It's like right. it fucks up the fucked up leg. And I guess she dies. I don't remember what happens to her character. She's in it for two minutes. Yeah. And yeah. she gets her leg bit off. Yeah. The only reason why they say it's starring Bo Derek is because the movie was a bomb. And right. then 10 came out after. It. it was her i think it was her first movie yeah and 10 came out and then they were like norka starring bo derrick anybody give us some gets money killed yeah. in three minutes so then the movie after all this you know then there's this big scene at the end where it's like mano a mano with richard harrison the orca and this like like an iceberg or some shit and spoiler orca wins but you're glad because yeah. orca is the only sympathetic character in that whole movie so i went to boston with my sister and my niece and my nephew and we went to the aquarium and i bought my nephew some type of orca transformer you know it looks like an orca <laughs> and then you transform it around and it turns into something and he was like, oh, I have to name it. And I was like, I already came up with the name. It's Bo Derek. And there was a lot of question about my niece and nephew, you know, who were eight and nine about why is it named Bo Derek? And maybe it shouldn't be named Bo Derek. Anyway, Bo Derek one is the name. I knew and that. the whole rest of the time, all they did was fight over this toy and be like, give me Bo Derek. I want <laughs> Bo Derek. He took Bo Derek from me. That's hilarious. And my sister and I just thought it was the funniest. People were looking at us like in restaurants, like what who the named fuck? this whale Bo Derek and why? Right. You know, That's these amazing. kids clearly have no idea no, who no, Bo no, no, Derek no, no. is. So for those of you out in audience land who don't really know who Bo Derek is, which I feel like most of you probably do if you listen to this, maybe, yep. hit or miss, she was not the greatest actress, but she was very hot, pretty and hot, hot, very hot. naked in a lot of Oops. early movies. In 10, which she starred in with Dudley Moore, yeah. she had cornrows, which is probably what we would consider to be cultural appropriation now, but it was very hot at the time. She looked hot. That she had these hot cornrows and blonde. Blonde, and she was real white privilege hot. Yeah. And it was made fun of a lot too, kind of after that, because it was such a big deal. Yeah. But John Waters had Mink Stole wear cornrows in polyester to make fun of. Oh, that's great. I didn't realize that. that. Yeah. So she was in Orca, and then. She wasn't in much else. I mean, she, she was made in a, 10. She was in Bolero. I Bolero. can't think of anything else. She's also in Tarzan the Ape Man. Oh, yeah. And she was in, what was that sex? Ghost Can't Do Ghost It? Ghost Can't Do It? I don't remember Might that. need to have a Bo Derek Film Festival. Good God. Let's have a lot of drinks first. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd revisit 10. Yeah, me too. I like her. I like that she exists. I do too. Yeah. And she's she seems very pleasant. Yeah. I think she she's aged six, really well too, now. actually. I think she looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Good for her. You you do you, you Bo. Go, you go, Bo Derek. You go, Bo Derek. All right, so let's wrap up this Orca debacle here. So, fun fact, reception towards that film was very negative. It mm-hmm. was not received well. Richard Harris enjoyed his experience filming it, though, and he took offense when people compared Orca to Jaws, which is... That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, because it's a Jaws the ripoff. Same movie, yeah. Currently, the film has a 7% approval on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? I kind of like that. I actually enjoyed it, too. I mean, it's bad, but yeah. I mean, I liked it the same way I like Piranha, you know, another Jaws yeah. ripoff that's pretty good. So, let's look at real-life stuff here to wrap up our fishy friends here. So, speaking of Moby Dick again, I mentioned that. That's actually based on some real-world events. So, in 1820, a giant sperm whale... Yeah. Okay, good. Apparently, 85 feet long, attacked a whale ship in Essex, causing her to sink. Her crew was adrift for days on these lifeboats. Of the 21-member crew aboard the Essex, just eight members were rescued after 80 days at sea. Herman Melville heard this story and met with the captain of the Essex, and that's how he was inspired to write the classic novel from this tale. Fun fact, Moby Dick was actually named after a real whale, Mocha Dick. <laughs> 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 mocha dick it's spelled m-o-c-h-a so i'm assuming oh, that it's that is pronounced mocha dick. mocha dick mocha dick wow <laughs> bet he's even bigger than the original moby dick oh man oh now that's a movie i want to see mocha, mocha dick. dick i'm sure i've seen that movie before <laughs> 
I've got nothing to add after that. <laughs> There's nothing for me to add to this episode. Mocha that. dick. That's what the, the real oh, name was. Oh, yeah. I like that. <laughs> it was first spot. I can't even finish. I can't even finish. Uh, yeah. Uh, I got nothing. This thing killed people. Fuck it. Who cares? Mocha oh, dick. I bet he did kill people. <laughs> he was quite a lot to handle. I bet they took a look at him and went, Fuck. I bet I could probably take that. <laughs> nope. Yeah, no one wins against Mocha just Dick. Don't think you could like get a firm grip on the size of this whale. <laughs> well, you turned this episode around for oh, me. Oh, good. I see why you ended on that. Yeah. Now I'll only have good memories. I've got nothing else. I don't even know where to go here. I have no idea. I'm actually looking at my notes trying to figure out where the fuck I'm going to go here. Essentially, whales aren't that fucking smart. Whatever, who cares? You know who cares? <laughs> fucking yep. mocha dick, man. Who cares? Now, orcas, on the other hand, orcas are very smart and very social. And they have been known to lash out. Actually, there's a documentary called Blackfish from 2013. Did you see this? I did see this one. So the documentary follows Tilikum's life through capture to currently being held at the time in SeaWorld and kind of goes through all the issues that have happened with him and some of the aggression that he's had. The documentary reports that the whales experienced extreme stress when their offspring were captured in the wild or when they were separated after breeding at the water parks. It also features footage of attacks on trainers by Tilikum and other captive whales, as well as interviews with witnesses after the release there were disputes about the accuracy of the film i know some of the people that i guess were in it were saying they were taking out a context mm-hmm. or sea world was very defensive sea about world, it yeah. and saying that that's not the case blah, blah blah but regardless this clearly had an impact on the park causing revenue losses and in november of 2015 sea world announced plans to end killer whale shows at the theme park in san diego in march of 2016 sea world announced it would end its orca breeding program altogether and phase out all live performances using orcas but that being said was telecoms lashing out because of the stress of captivity was it payback who knows but these real life actions add some credibility to orca the film which one last thing i do want to talk about with orca from 1977 so orca like we mentioned just a little bit ago was one of the many and i mean many ripoffs of jaws that came in the wake pun intended of that blockbuster film and like many others it was pretty fucking bad although i enjoy it and i know you enjoy it but what's interesting is that the plot of orca which is that it was always personal which of course makes it a traditional revenge story because its mate and baby were killed and of course it goes after the person that did it 10 years later jaws of revenge basically steals the plot of orca and makes its roaring shark seek revenge right right so we have a jaws sequel ripping off a movie that was itself a ripoff of jaws weird talk about coming full circle yeah it's weird yeah so with that, I'm going to end this journey to Critter Vengeance. And I have to admit, I, this was difficult, both in finding films with animals motivated by actual revenge and real examples where animals share the capacity to do so. The thirst for revenge is really a pretty complex desire. And to associate these animal actions as being vengeful, I don't know if it's really the same. Granted, there is some interesting evidence present with crows, chimps, and killer whales. Still, I think no matter how we tend to anthropomorphize the creatures that we share the earth with, I think the concepts of revenge are really pretty much human endeavors. And that's where I'm going to leave this. One last thing on this topic, though. As I said, it was hard to find movies with animals acting with a pure motive of revenge. But what was not hard to find when I was doing research are these movies where nature is taking revenge through animals on people. So there's a bunch of movies where the environment or there's some sort of global warming or like Birdemic or the, the birds. Yep. But also there's a movie called Day of the Animals and it's where like the hole in the ozone layer made animals crazy and they started attacking humans and shit. Mm-hmm. That movie also has a scene where Leslie Nielsen tries to rape a bear. So I might be talking about that at some point. Yeah, Why so, isn't there a whole episode on that? Well, there may very well be because if we do season seven, I think there might be an episode called Nature's Revenge or something like that. So can stay we just tuned. Call it Leslie Nielsen rapes a bear. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. So that's where I'm leaving Critter Vengeance. It was really hard finding any evidence of actual revenge with animals, although there was some compelling behavior to suggest they have some of the similar motivations. But the movies themselves, they were interesting. And of course, we got to talk about Orca and Mocha Dick, which is always, I mean, that's a great. Yeah thing but i don't think i've really proved that animals at least on their own have the capacity or the motivation to take revenge against being wronged so okay. what do you think i got a couple of thoughts sure so the movie free willy okay yeah i haven't seen this movie in a long time the i've never ki- seen it you I'm never saw i never fucked that movie the kid i think either worked at sea world or maybe his parents did or something okay but then at the very end am i correct in this the whale jumps over a jetty yes to escape that's like the image that is associated with the movie like right. it's in the air and, and the kid just keeps going free willy 
I think that's Go pretty much it. Willy! Yeah. Which is so weird. Why would you name the thing Willy and have a kid yell that? Plus, yeah. the soundtrack is by Michael Jackson, which makes it even creepier. That's pretty creepy, yeah. So, that movie, I think the whale is getting violent with people. And that's why <laughs> the kid wants him out of there. Because the only way that he understands that the whale feels trapped, the orca whale feels trapped in SeaWorld, is because he's getting violent with other people there. And so the kid is like, we've got to get him out of here, I think. Oh, I just thought he felt bad for it. And he was like, oh, Willie's a special Disney animal. We have to get him out. You Whatever know, Lorraine... Like Airbud, but it's a mm-hmm. whale. Whatever Lorraine Gary had with Jaws the Revenge Shark, mm-hmm. that's what this kid has got <laughs> with this whale named Willie. Huh. They've got some type of psychic connection. Maybe right. I'm getting this wrong. I like your version of this better. Like, it's this violent, evil whale, and the kid's like, we gotta get this fucker out of here. It's and like Michael a waste of time. like, no, he's happy. He likes being in here. For what it's worth, Michael Jackson has... There's plenty of weird things about Michael Jackson, God rest his soul, yeah, but... you think? But he also did the song Ben... All right, uh-huh. so Ben, which is a very nice, pleasant song, but it's actually for a killer rat movie. Right, for the rat movie. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me that he would do a song for, like, a creepy movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where Willard ended, Ben begins. Ben is coming from Cinerama releasing, and this time, he's not alone. Those rats killed three people. And his army of rats are on the way. what i got <laughs> all right you know what we're just gonna leave it here i don't remember shit about the episode other than mocha dick, mocha dick and i'm yeah. happy yeah we're gonna go to so. starbucks and say it's gonna get a venti mocha dick <laughs> god i hope so <laughs> all right on that note we're getting the fuck out of here all right have thanks, a good one everyone bye thanks for listening to slums of film history you can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find the links to some of the movies we talked about today and also be sure to check us out on facebook and twitter where we share a lot of additional content and if you like the show or have any comments or suggestions please drop us an email at slumsoffilmhistory at gmail.com or write us a review on itunes we'd love to hear from you and as always please fact check us and let us know if we left anything out we're not professionals just two friends that love gross movies Yeah, because you can see it come out of his throat, blood's yeah. coming out. It's really, really gory. It's cool. It's really yeah. cool. And then the guy dies from a heart attack. The guy dies from a heart attack. Heart attack. Heart attack. <laughs> Good God. We should make a movie called Heart Cat. <laughs> and it's a is... cat that makes people die from cardiac arrest. Yeah. Heart it's like cat. a combination of body of evidence and <laughs> cat's eye. Was Drew Barrymore in cat's she eye? She was in oh, cat's eye. In cat's eye. Yeah. Heart cat. Rated R starts Friday. It's a good Dear one. New you. Yeah, no, one. I'm down with Carter Cat. Yeah. This is what happens when you drink mimosas before... Before you record, which is a great idea and also maybe... No, it's Not still a great, great idea. It's still a great idea, I think.